part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're being seated this morning, open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament. A lot of people can say that you can just open up your Bible. A lot of Bibles you can open almost to the middle and you'd be there in Psalms or Proverbs in a lot of Bibles. But uh, uh, Proverbs is going to be right there. Proverbs is a, a unique book. It's, uh, it tells us about God's truth, as does Genesis all the way through Revelation. But it's, it tells us God's truth in, in a little bit of a distinctive way. Uh, Proverbs gives us a ni- unique view of truth. And it centers on what we call wisdom. Everybody wants to be wise. We just sang a song about that clearly defined who God is. He's a good, good father. And I hope that you could really sing with great, uh, you know, excitement this morning that 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 last part of the verse really defines you, that you're loved, that you really know that. Because, see, we struggle with that a lot of times. You know, yeah, I know who God is and I, I love God, but does God really love me? And when we read the scripture and we go from Genesis to Revelation, we see this beautiful story of God's eternal love for us and the way that he just cares for us. Again, loved us so much that he would give his only son. And so that, that song declares what we see in God's word. But when we come to Proverbs, well, we see a kind of a different kind of truth. Now, again, it's still solid truth, but it's really this application of truth. You know, there's a lot of times that you get theology, and I love theology. I, I love when we were able to read about uh, the distinctive nature of God and the distinctive problem of man and all those different things. And some people love theology, some people don't. The people that really sometimes kind of struggle with theology a little bit say, look, just give me the practical thing. You know, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I'm in the midst of this marriage. I'm in the midst of trying to raise kids. Give me the practical stuff. Well, you would love Proverbs because Proverbs is the practical part. It doesn't really get into a lot of deep theology. It kind of assumes that the theological base is there. And then what the writer of, of Proverbs is actually several writers, but Solomon is the main one who's writing this. And you can kind of call him the editor, even from the other guys who contributed to Proverbs. And so what we have in Proverbs is this application of where rubber meets the road, where real life happens. And for a lot of people, that's what they want. Hey, just give me three things to change my life. And there's a, let me tell you, there's a clear problem with that without the solid theology underneath it, okay? If all you want is just the practical and you really don't know the, the foundation of it, it's really kind of dangerous. But for everybody who likes just, you know, three things to do, this morning I'm going to give you three things to do from Proverbs about wise living, about how do we really discern truth in this very deceptive world. For five weeks we've been talking about how do we know truth. And the one thing that I hope that you will take away from this series without question is that we define truth by God's word. You know, that's the standard. Not opinion, not what culture says, not the latest poll, not even what a president or this wise person or this other extreme person over here. No, truth is defined by God's word. And when we begin to look into God's word, we begin to see this truth in Proverbs in a real life application. It talks in Proverbs, you're going to find things about raising children in there. About disciplining children. You know that old verse that goes, spareth the rod, spoileth the child? It's in Proverbs. You know, it says, okay, real life application. Here, here's how you discipline. Here's how you do things. And so we see all things. Uh, it talks about marriage. It talks about relationships. It talks about sexual relationships. I mean, it talks about the intimacy of that. I mean, it gets real life. 
talks about vocational life, whether you are the employer or the employee. talks about, you know, how do I go to work or how do I be a good boss? talks about all those things. talks about finances. A lot of times we wonder, what does God say about finances? You're going to find a lot of wisdom and a lot of truth in the book of Proverbs about finances, about uh, stay away from debt or don't do this and just different things, you know, save for the rainy day. All those practical, real-life things are found there in the book of Proverbs. It talks even about politics and things like that. Well, this morning we're going to look at this book of Proverbs and uh, we're going to look at it in the application of this whole element of discerning truth. A lot of times when you do a daily devotion, in some books, it will actually give you a proverb a day. Uh, it will give you an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and it will have something from the Psalms and sometimes something from Proverbs. I would highly recommend that. I don't know what your routine is and how you have your quiet time and if you use a book, if you use a devotional guide. But a proverb a day truly would change your life because it's just wise. It's how to live God's truth out in real life. It's kind of like taking vitamins. You know, you eat your meal, but then, you know, maybe your meal of your choice isn't, you know, uh, you know a McDonald's value meal. And it may not give you all the nutrients and all the things that you really need for a healthy body. Probably nothing that it gives you for a healthy body, but, you know, and so you take a vitamin, and it supplements your meal. It kind of gives you what you need. Well, that's what Proverbs does. So as you're reading the New Testament, as you're reading the Old Testament, whatever, I would advise you, man, open up Psalms. I mean, Proverbs, go, go to the very beginning and just start reading one a day, and it will really change how you begin to apply God's truth to your life. Well, this morning as we go there, it, is, it was written mostly by a man who was a king, Solomon, and he was known as one of the wisest men who has ever lived. Questionably, the wisest man, save Christ himself, that ever walked this earth. Now, how did he get that wisdom? Well, you might say, well, you know, wasn't he the king's son, King David's son? He was. And you might say, well, then he just had that silver spoon kind of opportunity. Since he was the king's son, he must have grown up with all the opportunities, and he certainly did. But do you know how the Bible says Solomon actually got this wisdom to apply God's truth to real life? It's when he became king. His father was no longer king. Solomon was rather young, and he became king, and he was really kind of troubled because he said, you know, how do I follow in my father's footsteps? You know, King David, how do you follow that? And so he was kind of intimidated. At the same time, he was kind of young. And so he began to pray, and he began to pray earnestly, seek out God. And he said, God, will you just answer my prayers? Help me to, to lead these great people. And God told him, now don't get this confused with the genie that you just rub and get a wish. You know, God's not like that, okay? But in this case, God did say, Solomon, whatever you ask for, I will give you. And Solomon's praying. And you know what his prayer was for? Wisdom. It wasn't for money. It wasn't for fame. It wasn't for power. Even though, you know, every one of us could make a case for, hey, yeah, you get a freebie wish from God, you know, go ahead and ask for those things. Now, he ended up with power and fame and money and all those things. But it wasn't because he asked for those things. He asked for wisdom. And what's really important to understand here is it wasn't just that he asked for wisdom to be the wisest man. Yeah, I like to be known as the wisest man who ever lived. The Bible tells us that in this prayer to God, as he was asking for wisdom, it told us his motivation. And the motivation that Solomon had for this wisdom, he said, God, will you give me wisdom 
to lead such a great people as these. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the Jewish people. He said, if I'm going to be the leader of your people, God, will you give me a wisdom? Because this is way over my job grade. This is way over the, you know, anything that I could ever handle. And that has been my prayer oftentimes. God, will you just give me wisdom to lead such a great people like this? Maybe that's your prayer as you're the father leading a household, as you're trying to lead out and, at your job or wherever it might be. God, will you just give me wisdom? Not just power and authority. Will you give me wisdom to lead such a great people as these? Well, that's where he gets his wisdom. It's very understand, uh, great to understand that. And under his wisdom, Israel and the nation, and we begin to see that they get divided and all this, and, and the nation of Israel and Judah. But, but basically, under Solomon, they became one of the most famous, one of the most powerful, one of the richest and wealthiest countries that the world has ever known. People began to hear about wisdom of Solomon and they would come from far-off countries. Even other kings and other royalty would come and try to get some of this great advice and this wisdom. An example of that is one time, just to show you how practical and down-to-earth this was, there was a time that you find in 1 Kings chapter 3, and, and two ladies came uh, before Solomon. Uh, they had kind of a strange predicament. They had both uh, gotten pregnant. They both delivered within three days of one another. So they had two infants there. And it's really a kind of a, a horrible story. One of the mothers, as they're in this same house, nobody else kind of knows that they're there. They have these babies, two young moms, two little babies. And in the night's sleep, one of the mothers rolls over and rolls on the child, and, and the child dies. And she's, you can only imagine. And she begins to think, I, you know, she's heartbroken, she's disturbed. She knows that there's another baby in this other room by this other newborn. And so what does she do? In her mind, she takes the baby, her baby that just died, and she goes and exchanges it for the other living baby and puts it there and then goes back and just kind of tries to fall asleep and kind of act like this is her baby. Well, the other mother wakes up, and you can only imagine the horror of that mother that wakes up and, and her baby is not breathing. But then as the daylight comes, the Bible says that she begins to look close and she goes, wait, wait, this isn't my baby. She goes into the other mother and she goes, you've got my baby. And so it became a she said, she said kind of thing. Nobody else is around. It's not like somebody, you know, the doctor said, yeah, I remember this baby has a mole right there on his backside. You know, they didn't have that. Nobody else knows about this. And so the dilemma is, what are you going to do? She said that it's her baby. This other one says that it's her baby. And it goes before Solomon. And Solomon does something that is so strange. He calls for them to come up. One gives their testimony. Says, you know, this is what happened. I had my baby and, and uh, you know, I, I know this is my baby. I think she must have exchanged the baby in the, in the middle of the night. The other one comes up and says, that's not the truth. She took my, you know, I have my baby. She's just sorrowful because her baby died. And so there's this dilemma. And Solomon says, okay, you both claim that this baby, this one alive baby, is yours. I have no other choice. We don't have any other witnesses. We don't have anybody else to help discern this. Give me a sword. I'm going to give you half the baby to each one. At that moment, at that moment, one of those mothers said, no, no, she can have the baby then. And the other one said, good. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, said, that one that said, save the baby, that's the real mom. Because that's how a real mom 
acts. It's that kind of wisdom. That's real life. I mean, can you get more real life than that? That's what we find in Proverbs. And so it's this unique book, and it is this wisdom book, this application of real life. But, but it is, one of the things as we begin to read this book of wisdom is that Solomon makes it very clear that this wisdom isn't really for you and I to attain just kind of on some life journey going off to some high mountain. You know, a lot of times we think, okay, if I really want to get wise, I'll just go off to a mountain in isolation, away from everything else, and I'll just kind of put everything into my mind and my heart. Well, folks, you might be able to do that with knowledge. You really don't do that with wisdom. Because wisdom is the real application, the truthful God way of doing knowledge, of living it out. You you could go off and you could separate yourself from everybody else and you could gather all kinds of information. But if you want wisdom, wisdom is not really lived in isolation. Wisdom is lived out in real life with real people. And one of the uh, themes that we see throughout the, the book of Proverbs is that if you really want to have wisdom... You need other people around you. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 28, 26. One thing you're going to find out about Solomon and his wisdom is he was not politically correct. Okay? If something was really this way, he would just call it that way. And so listen to what he says. I mean, this is not a politically correct statement. I don't really advise you to go in tomorrow and, and, and kind of use this terminology directly unless you already have an established relationship. Because here's what Solomon says. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. So I don't really advise you to go into your boss tomorrow and say, you know, I, I think you just trust in your own self. You are a fool because you may not have a job at the end of the day. But what Solomon is trying to say, look, he knew that this heart and this mind could be deceptive. You remember what we studied over the last five weeks? Because we are fallen people in a fallen world, does your mind, even though you're really trying hard, does it always tell you the right thing? It doesn't. Sometimes you're deceived. Does your heart, your feelings, your emotions, does it always tell you the right thing? No, I've counseled people, men and women over the years, had their heart broken by another man or woman, and they're going, you know, I would just do anything to be back with so-and-so even if it was the most unhealthy of relationships. Why? Because their heart was saying, I just love him. I just love her. So even though our mind and our heart, you know, sometimes, a lot of times we can trust it, but we can't trust it all the time because it can be confused. And so what does the Bible say? It says, whoever trusts in his own mind in isolation, he said, you're a fool. But he who walks in the wisdom will be delivered. Now that word walk is used a lot in the Old Testament to mean a way of life. If you go to Psalms 1, it talks about, you know, don't sit with these people, but walk in this way. And walk was another word for living out life. And and so what Solomon is telling us here, look, if you just trust your own feelings, your own emotions, it can really be foolish. But if you surround yourself with other people, now what kind of people? Wise people. If you walk in wisdom with other people that are wise, he said, you're going to be delivered. Man, there's going to be a lot of things in your life that actually you're going to be set free from because you're going to have a wise way of approaching that. And this is a theme that Solomon repeats time after time after time. And when he does that, he uses a Hebrew word. Now, folks, for anybody here for the first time, I promise you, pastors 
do not use teachers. They don't use the Greek word for this. Is to kind of show off that we kind of know a Greek word or the Hebrew word. We looked it up, okay? It's not that we can speak Hebrew and speak Greek and all that kind of stuff. But here's why oftentimes we say the Hebrew word for this is so-and-so. The reason we do this is because a lot of the Greek words, a lot of the Hebrew words were picture words. A lot of the ancient words and a lot of the ancient languages, they, when they used a word, it was kind of a picture that was associated with it. And the word here for wisdom that is used is the Hebrew word tabula, tabula. And you don't have to remember that, but I do want you to remember the word picture that goes with it. Tabula, this wisdom, was a, a reference to a sailor. It was a sailing term. And it was the uh, sailor who had the ability to take the ship and navigate it through the storms of life. Do, do we have that picture? See this? You know, they're in the midst of the storm, and you've got all these guys, the crews there, everybody's fearful of their life. And, and you've got this captain. You've got these people, and they're working together. And he may tell this one, okay, put the cell up. And this one, okay, take that cell down. And he's navigating. That's the word picture for this Hebrew word for wisdom. He said, if you have wisdom, you have the ability in the storms of life where there's rocks and there's places you can get shipwrecked, you have the ability to steer through that. Well, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of wisdom I want. Because I don't know about you, but there are storms, storms in my life. There's probably storms in your life. Uh, sometimes we're trying to navigate seas in our marriage and our finances and our family and all that. that there, there really are rocks out there. And so this is the kind of wisdom that we want. And this is what Solomon talks about time and time again. And, and so look what it says in Proverbs 11:14. Proverbs 11:14, Where there is no guidance, that's the word, that word guidance there, is the word tabula in the, the Hebrew. Where there is no guidance, this ability to navigate through the storms, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there's safety. He said, you, you get the right people kind of steering the ship, and you're going to be able to navigate this. You're going to be able to kind of go through this. doesn't mean you're still not going through storms. You may have to go through storms. But he said, you will come out on the other side. You're going to be able to navigate that. You're going to be able to, to live. In Hebrew, we begin to see this word come out. So let's read uh, Proverbs 11:14 with that mindset. Where there is no tabula, where there is no wisdom, no ability, no people around you to help you steer through these things, what happens? People fall. But if you surround yourself, if there's an abundance of counselors, then what? You get to safety. doesn't mean that there's an absence of storms. See, I think that's one of the biggest things that people really get kind of disappointed in their Christian life. Man, I've been going to church now for six weeks, and I still have problems. Well, folks, I've been going to church literally since I was just a little kid, and I still have problems. The difference of coming to church, the difference of of putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is not the elimination of the tragedies and the hardships of life and the storms of life. It's the ability to be able to sail through that and survive. You don't fall. You're delivered. It's the whole story of the gospel. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. Not that we navigate this life without a lot of bumps and a lot of bruises, but that we survive 
and we're delivered. Delivered into what? Into what one day will be heaven. One day there really will be a place where there is no more sin. There is no more tragedy. There are no more storms of life. But that is to come. It's all made possible because of the work of Christ. But in this life, we have to navigate those storms. And so how do we do that? The first thing that we begin to see here is that we are to seek wise counsel. Seek out wise counsel. If it's that important to have these kind of sailors in your life, these people around you that can help you navigate storms, then the first thing we need to do is seek that out. And I would imagine that's probably one of the hardest parts. Man, not to pick on us, but it's probably one of the hardest parts for us. Because we have this thing called pride. We are by nature problem solvers. We love solving problems. Sometimes we miss Maybe what my, my wife will come in and she'll have a, a situation. And she just wants to tell me about this situation. But you know what I go into? Immediate problem-solving mode. Carly, I think I've got this figured out. I didn't want you to figure it out. No, i got it figured out. Let me tell you how we're going to fix this. We do this very well a lot of times. It's a natural mode. It's first gear for us guys. But here's the problem. Because that is so natural to our first gear... When we do get into a dilemma, when we get into a storm of life, we get to a challenge and a bump along the road, sometimes our pride keeps us from doing this first important part of just asking for guidance. Man, I could ask Jeff, but I don't think Jeff knows any more than I do. I could ask Brian, but, you know, I'm not so pleased with the way he handled this other thing. And so all of a sudden, and and that's that's not true of these two, but it, it would be one of those things that we could easily begin to say in our own mind, in our own wisdom, you know, I got it figured out at least as much as these guys do. No, the first thing the Bible tells us, and that's how someone actually begins the book of, of Proverbs, he says, you need to seek out wisdom. Look at Proverbs 1.5. After kind of a little bit of an introduction, he gets into the, the meat of it, and Proverbs 1.5, right there in the very beginning, he begins to say, hey guys, you know how to navigate life? You've got to seek out wisdom. Look what he says. Let the wise do what? Hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. There's that word again, guidance. It's the word, hey, obtain somebody who knows how to navigate this. Somebody who knows how to steer around the rocks, around the waves, and get you through to the other side. And, and so what we see there is how do we, um, uh, if you look again what it says in, in, in verse 5, he actually says that it takes a little bit of wisdom to actually seek out wisdom. Would you agree with that this morning? That, you know, pride would keep you from asking, but it's actually a beginning of wisdom to actually seek out somebody who's wiser than you? He said that's the beginning. Look again what it says. Let the wise... Hear and increase in learning. He said, here's where you are in the wisdom because you're willing to ask somebody else that maybe is a little bit older, a little bit wiser. They've traveled that route before. He said, that's actually showing wisdom that you would go and get more wisdom from them and not just try to navigate that on your own. You're wise to seek this out. Now go down to Proverbs 9.9. He says, here's what's going to happen. If you are actually a wise person, and you're wise enough to actually go out and ask somebody else about how to navigate these storms in your life or these different situations that are difficult for you, Here, here's what he says will be the end result. Proverbs 9.9. 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still, what? Wiser. 
He said, man, you're showing wisdom because you're actually, you know, putting your pride aside. You're actually going to asking somebody that, that may have a little bit more insight than you do. And he said, you're going to grow wiser. But we, we proved that this weekend. Jeremy, out of our man, is Mr. Camper. I mean, he, he, the guy knows how to camp, especially when it comes to camp food and all that. And so the wise, we were wise going, Jeremy, you're cooking, you know. And we grew all the wiser, didn't we, Zach? Because we watched what he did and go, man, this is how you do it. Maybe next time, you know, we can even help him a little bit more with that. But there was wisdom in saying, okay, because we did have little Debbies. I mean, that would have been our breakfast. You know, there was a backup plan just in case, you know, something happened to Jeremy. There was a backup plan. But because we had Jeremy and he was wise about that, how to cook in a campfire setting, we watched and we ate. And we were wiser and more full because of it. We really were. Well, take any application of life, guys. That's what the word is saying. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So the first thing that Solomon's saying is that you can either be full, foolish, or, or wise. Show wisdom. And it starts with asking for wisdom. Second part, number two, for the people that like one, two, three, Today's one of the few times I'm going to give it to you. One, two, three. Okay. First thing, ask for wisdom. Second, discern wise counsel. Has every bit of advice you've ever been given in your life turned out to be good advice? <laughs> you know, sometimes we'll ask people, you know, I mean, back in high school, hey, do you think the teacher's going to catch, look if we, if we do that or catch us if we do this? No, man, the teacher's not going to catch us. And then you end up expelled from school. You know, that really wasn't wise advice. You know, they gave you some advice. Hey, she'll never catch us. But you ended up costing you because it wasn't good advice. And, and so with this advice, we're to seek out advice. But as we get advice from people, we have to discern, is this really godly advice? Does this line up to truth, to the scripture? Because remember, we said that this is really our only standard of truth. This is what we bounce everything off. I don't care if it's a pastor. If you hear me say something, you better balance it with the Word of God. You better catch it with the Word of God. In the New Testament, they did that, even to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said, you know, I would go in there and preach, and there's this group called the Bereans, and they would go back that night after he preached, and they would check to see everything, if it really matched up with Scripture. And Paul didn't say, man, I am easily offended. You know, I am so offended that you would not count what I'm saying. I'm an apostle. My goodness, of course it's true. No, he commended them. He said, you are wise. That you just didn't listen to the sermon, but you actually went back and you took it piece by piece, truth by truth, state by by statement, and you saw if it really did line up with Scripture. And folks, that's on me, but it's also on you every week to make sure that what is taught by every elder, by every teacher, every pastor here, if it lines up with scriptural truth. So we have to discern this. Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, if you're a parent of a, a child that's at least three or four or five, you know this. And not because you read it in a book, you know, in the Bible. You just know this to be true. How many times when we were growing up did your mom say, you know, man, you're not going to be playing with Jimmy? Well, no, Jimmy's my best friend. I like Jimmy. No, Jimmy's a fool. 
and you're not going to, and, and, and his parents let him act foolish. And so you're not going to play with Jimmy because if you keep on playing with Jimmy, you're going to act the fool. You act pretty good and you get around Jimmy and you come home acting like a fool. Well, that's what this proverb says. You, you hang out with wise people, you get wiser. But if you're a companion of foolish people, you're going to start acting foolish. How many of you believe that truth right there? I mean, it's in the Bible, so everybody should have their hand up. But, but we've lived that out. You know, that's practical, real life. And I don't know that there's a parent alive of, of uh, at least a seven, eight-year-old on up that hasn't at least one time invoked that truth in their life. Hey, this is, this is what you're going to do. And we don't apologize for it because we know that that is truth. So, so Paul tells us, okay, be careful, discern. And, and what should we discern? What, what amount of stuff should we discern? Well, remember what Paul said last week to the Thessalonians? Test what? Every, yeah, te- well, John said test the spirits. Paul said it this way. Everything. I mean, everything? That could get exhausting. No, he said test everything and then do what? Hold fast what is good. In other words, as we're seeking wisdom, that's the first step, seek wisdom. As you go out there and get wisdom, hold on. You know, see, does this line up with Scripture or not? And then hold on to that which you know is good. Let me tell you a story out of 1 Kings. There was a king by the name of Rehoboam one time. And he was a young king. He was another young king. And he had uh, kind of all these people. And uh, this may seem really unfathomable and unthinkable, but the people came to this young king and had this complaint. The taxes are too high. I, I know that's hard for us to even imagine in our world, in our culture. But they actually went. They got, they got this representative by all names, Jeroboam. We got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is kind of the front for the people. And, and he goes up to this king, this young king, and he says, look, the people, <laughs> I mean, there may be a mutiny. That They are really discouraged. And, and they just want, you know, you're taxing them too much. And you're taking all these taxes not to help things, but to help yourself and to just to build up the kingdom. Again, that would never happen, would it? You know, just to build up this other entity of the government. Well, that was their complaint. And so the king says, okay, I'm going to seek some advice. So he went to the elders. He went to the older ones. One said it actually helped his dad at one time because his dad was the king. And he went to them and they said, now here's what we think you should do. We think you should serve the people instead of just let them always serve you. You're a young king. You need to show them that you care. And so you know what we would do, King Rehoboam? We would actually let off the pedal a little bit. We would kind of you know, decrease the taxes. Now, don't raise them as much. Show the people that you really care. Now, do you think that's good advice? Do you think, do you wish that we would see some of that advice in America? That, that would be great, wouldn't it? Well, he, you know, he listened to those older people, the elders and the ones that had consulted his dad. And he said, well, I'll go ask my friends. And his friends were his age. They were young. And guess what his friends told him to do? He said, man, you don't need to let them to know who's boss. They're looking at you. You're a young king. But you need to put the hammer down. You need to let them know that just because you're young, you're not going to be pushed around. So he's got two pieces of advice. Two people that he's sought out counsel for. One says, lighten up. Serve the people. The, the older one said that. The young one said, man, Lay the hammer down. Let them know his boss. Yeah, guess which one he chose? The latter. 
You know, when those friends, his own age, spoke into his life, he says, yeah, that sounds right. I am the king, and I will let them know that I am the king. In fact, here's how he said it. 1 Kings 12, verse 13 and 14. And the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old man had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young man. Wow. You think it turned out good? No, not at all. Folks, it's one thing to seek wise counsel. But the second part is we have to discern, is this really wise or not? I found out, you give a man a penny for his thoughts, sometimes that's what you get. And some people should actually give you change back from the penny, you know, for, for the cost of that. I mean, you've got to be careful who you go out to. So it's not just that you seek advice. Does that advice discern, is this really wise advice? And how do we determine if it's wise or not? Does it line up with Scripture? Does this have the mark of maturity? Is this something that just pleases me? Or is it something that actually pleases God? So that's the second part, that we begin to do that. And and then there's a third part, to follow wise counsel. Please don't hear this last part as a a grumbling session, but uh, it is one of the frustrations of ministry. And uh, sometimes you spend weeks, if not months, if not years. I've counseled some couples for years. Come back every Tuesday night. We're counseling. And glad to do it. Glad to do it. But there's probably nothing more frustrating than when they come and, and they give you their dilemma. You, you give them as best as you can, prayerful, wise, biblical counseling, and then they don't follow it. And they wonder why their dilemma goes on. And, and what's so frustrating isn't just from the pastor's perspective. The frustrating part is they've already done really the hard part. They've sought out, that is, they let their pride down to actually come talk to a pastor. They've aired their dirty laundry. I mean, that's humbling. They've put in weeks of counseling. I mean, I've got to change my own schedule. They have to change, you know, where's, where are we going to put the kids? You've got to be off work. I mean, they had to organize a lot to do that. My frustration isn't just for me that, man, I just wasted my time. My frustration for them. Guys, you were almost there. You sought out wise counseling. You tried to discern that this really was biblical counseling. But now when it comes to really kind of live it out, you refuse to do it told one couple one time and they were shocked their mouths hit the floor i said guys y'all really don't need to be coming back i mean i'd seen them from a year and a half i said you don't need to come back well why why because i i I kind of show you some little baby steps to take and you don't do it and you always have an excuse and week after week you come back and say well we didn't have time to do this folks it was not monumental things it wasn't okay take your wife to hawaii for two weeks and you know cuddle it wasn't that kind of stuff you know it was just Go on a five-minute walk this week so that you can just have this time together, you know, without the kids. With the... And every week, complain. They were shocked when I said, you know, and again, remember, this is after a year and a half. This isn't after the second week or the third week. I said, guys, you know, you know I've got to watch my time. But I said, you know, the main thing is I can't just kind of be a part of something that's not going forward. That's not healthy for you, but it's not really spiritual for me. It's not really good. And I'm starting to buy in, you know, I, I have, you know, buy into to your laziness to, to do this. If you're going to seek out wise counsel, then follow it. You may not be able to follow it perfectly. Man, we're all going to stumble, folks. 
But if you're going to take the time to seek wise counsel and discern if it really is biblical wise counsel, follow through with it. Put it into place. Humor the pastor. Humor the parent. Humor the boss. Humor whoever it is. Okay, I guess I'll just try it. I'll give you one more story and then we'll close. Story of Moses. Remember Moses? Oh, and by the way, Rehoboam, do you know who his father was? Anybody? Solomon, the one who wrote Proverbs. <laughs> so, you know, just because dad's really wise doesn't mean, you know, that son's always going to be wise because by that time Solomon had kind of went off the, the, the beat up path anyway. Well, Moses, there comes a time in Moses' life when God has called him to lead the people out of Egypt. And he's doing that, and um, people are coming to him with the problems. He is the established leader. He's kind of the pastor, you know, of, of these people. And the people, when they have dilemmas, they, they bring their dilemmas to him, almost like they did, those two mothers did, to Solomon. And they come back, but because there's, some people estimate that there were millions of Israelites. We know that there was at least hundreds of thousands, but there could have been even millions of them. And they were coming to Moses. And, and so, I mean, night and day, all he did was people would come in front of here's our dilemma, and they would kind of argue the case. Do you think that would be tiring? Yeah. I mean, it would be one of those things that Moses is overwhelmed, but he doesn't see it. He's got a blind spot. You know why they call him a blind spot? Because you can't see it. You can be the smartest person in the world and have a blind spot. And Moses did not see this in his own life. But here's what happened. His father-in-law came to town. His father-in-law went to work with him one day. His name was Jethro. I've always noticed that everybody wants to name their kids biblically, but nobody ever gets Jethro. I always feel like he's kind of left out. So if you plan to have a little baby boy, I would be thrilled if you called him Jethro, because I just think it's a cool name. So Jethro, his father-in-law, comes and talks to Moses, and, and, and he says, Exodus 18, verse 17 and 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now, folks, think about this. Every man in here, every man, put yourself in Moses' position. Your father-in-law comes to you, goes to work with you. His father-in-law, Jethro, he was a farmer. Moses, he's a politician. He's a leader. He's the commander of all these people. And the farmer comes up to you. Your father-in-law farmer comes up and says, Anna, you know, I was glad I went to work with you today, but Moses, what you're doing is not good. Now, every man in here, if you put yourself in that situation, you know what starts to put up a a defense. Who is he to tell me? I'm the commander. He's a farmer. What does he know about commanding millions of people? Well, what Jethro was telling Moses was wise. So wise that you know that even today in America, we still use the system, a form of the system that Jethro was to set up for Moses. He said, Moses, why don't you go get some really smart people, people that you can trust, and, and, and break them down to a thousand and to a hundred and, and maybe down to ten. Do you know that even our government system in America, we have the Supreme Court, we have the courts that are there on the state level, the Georgia Supreme Court, then we have districts, and then we have city government. 
to this day, we follow the wisdom that Jethro says, here's a better way to do it. Now, here's the, the whole point. Look down at verse 19, Exodus 18, 19. He said, now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God will be with you. He says, this is wise. Trust me on this, Moses. And look down what happens. Exodus 18, verse 23 and 24. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people will have a place of peace. Uh, Go to their place in peace. Verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. You you want to be wise, guys? You want to follow biblical paths to wisdom? Seek advice. Let let the pride go. Man, if you haven't, if you're struggling, go to, it doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be a trusted family friend. It can be a a coworker that just, you know, is walking with God and, and say, okay, I'm seeking advice. When they give advice, measure that advice. Does it really line up with biblical counseling? Does it really give, line up to biblical truth? And then if you're doing all that, follow that advice. Just give it a whirl and see if it really does begin to help the situation. Here's the thing, guys. Not one of us, not one of us is equipped to handle every situation in life. You may be the wisest person in this room. I promise you, there is something that somebody else can add in addition to the wisdom that you already have about a certain matter. None of us. In fact, God said that you and I were not even designed to do life alone. Now, what's the application of that? Why do we do church? Why are we here this morning? It is to worship and and, and to just give our love and our praise to to God. But God loved you and I so much that one of the reasons we're here today is so that we really can navigate these storms of life together. We have this thing called life groups where we get smaller groups and we become intimate friends and all that. We had ours, our first one, this past Thursday night, and it was wonderful. Sitting down with 12 people, you know, not the, the collective bunch of everybody at, at the church, but you know, our small group, and, and we talked about life. And as we have more and more times together and fellowship together, we will share more and more, we'll let the guard down, and, and we'll just do life together. And we will find out, wow, this guy's really wise about these things. This lady's really wise about these things. And we'll be able to have this collective wisdom as a body of people. See, that's God's gift to you in the body of Christ. That's why we do life groups. That's why we do church. It's because no man has all this wisdom himself. God has said, you know, hey, I got some captains out there. I got some sailors out there that's going to help you navigate this storm. And so, guys, I encourage you. Proverbs 27, 17. Uh, Unfortunately, we always hear this. It, It certainly applies to men's groups, but sometimes we limit it just to men's group, and it really is an application for all of Christian life. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's God's encouragement to us today. There's things, and it doesn't mean just the older ones to the younger ones. I guarantee you, every person over 50, I can say that now, here, can teach people that are under 50 some things about wisdom in life. Why? Because oftentimes we made the wrong choice. We listened to the wrong friend, or we did it this way. And we have the bumps and the bruises and the scratches and the scars to prove it. But I promise you this, for everybody over 50 here, there's a lot that we can learn from everybody younger than 50. 
Man, they're navigating some things that we never thought we'd had to navigate. Isn't it beautiful that God would collectively put us together as a body of believers, young and old? People from this place, this place? Georgia fans, Gator fans? You know, people from all different walks of life, collectively together? Because where I have a blind spot, I pray that God would give me some friends that say, Bobby, I care about you enough to point this out. And for maybe a blind spot that you would have in your life as you would humble yourself and seek out wisdom. Hey, we're just having a hard time in our marriage right now. That maybe somebody who's walked marriage for 40, 50 years. Carly and I have our 31st anniversary coming up this Tuesday. You know, that you would go to somebody and say, man, y'all seem like y'all have the perfect marriage. No. But let me tell you how we navigate it. Here's what we've learned. And we get this collective wisdom of people who have navigated marriage for a long time. And we pour into those that are doing it, you know, with the training wheels still on. Folks, that's called church. It's called the body of Christ. And it's the most beautiful thing. It's a gift. Besides salvation, it's one of the best things that God has ever given us. And so I want to encourage you. Seek wisdom. Let the pride down. Seek wisdom. Good counsel. Measure it. Does it really measure up to godly counsel? And then follow through. Do life one with another. That's why God has put us here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, this morning, uh, thank you that you've given us a word. Father, that's very practical. Father, we love theology. We love the things that are truthful and give us that foundation of truth. But sometimes, Father, we just need to know, how how do we do this for this week? How do we handle this storm or this uh, difficulty in in our life? And so, Father, I pray today that as we uh, hear your word, that you would, Father, maybe there's some this morning, this very morning, Father, they need really truly to seek out some wise counsel. Not because they're not smart, not because they're, they don't have uh, uh, good ways of doing other things, but in this one area, they just can't seem to get ahead. Father, will you humble them? Will you, will you give them the ability to put their pride aside and maybe even this next week to seek out godly counsel? And then, Father, will you give us discernment to know if, if this counsel really is, is wise or foolish? And then, Father, by the very Spirit and the help of Christ, Father, will you help us to follow through with that and live it out? Father, I thank you for this beautiful thing that you call Cornerstone Church people from all walks of life coming together so that we can just help one another navigate life according to your will and your purpose. And Father, I pray that even this day that we would just know what a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ. We love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.